Just as an athlete needs endurance to make it through a game or a race, so too the Christian needs endurance in our lifelong race. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. We're just going to face things in our life that require endurance. And the need that we have is not to get out of it. The need that we have is not even necessarily someone to come alongside and help us bear the burden. But there are some listening to me right now that your need is endurance to learn to bear up under the weight of what you're in right now and what you're facing. And then you ask, but Ed, for how long? For how long? As long as the Lord allows it in our lives. We're to bear up under and make progress. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado comes Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Recently, we've been receiving an introduction to the Antichrist through a study in Daniel and Revelation. And that concludes today. We'll observe both the accusations and aggression that comes from the Antichrist. Pastor Ed will take this opportunity to show us the real need for patient endurance when facing trials and tribulation of any kind, like, say, a global pandemic, he begins in Revelation 13 at verse 5 today. The accusations or the blasphemies that come from the beast. Then the beast was allowed to speak, verse 5, great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Just mark that, 42 months. It's an important number, but it also it's an important truth. And we don't want to just bypass it. But he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So you, can you get the scene of what's happening on the earth at this time? You've got the, those that dwell on the earth, those that have rejected God, those that are not worshiping Jesus Christ as Messiah, are worshiping the beast that is literally blaspheming the one true God. That's how displaced things are. I don't think we need to wait for the great tribulation period to see the many antichrists, little a, that are on the earth today. The deception that's running rampant. Those that might be openly blaspheming God and yet receiving the adoration of man. Oh, perhaps not worship in the sense of worship in a church setting, but adoration, money, be allowing to be influenced by them, all little antichrists, little A's. And during the last half of the great tribulation period, the antichrist's mouth suddenly changes and his venom is spewed out against God in blasphemy. His true colors now are revealed. The antichrist will be filled with antichrist words and he blasphemes God's name, God's temple, God's tabernacle, God's followers. Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Now take note of verse 5 for a moment. All he gets is 42 months. 
He doesn't get 43 months. He doesn't get 51 months. He, he doesn't get 51. He gets 42. And what that's telling us is there's an end point to, to the blasphemies and the authority of the Antichrist. Let me quote to you a commentator. He said, The beast continues without restraint by God for a period of 42 months, the familiar three and a half years. The duration of the period shows that the beast has full reign for the first half of the final seven years and that during that whole time he's still under God's authority. And even as tough times come into your life, and this is what encouraged me about this, of whatever's going to happen in the future in the Great Tribulation, when I hear 42 months and I hear there's a beginning and an end, that there's a limitation, that no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what's coming your way, there's a beginning and there's an end. We don't often, you know, especially when the end takes forever, takes forever, takes like you're in the constant wave of, of trial. I know one of the things I learned in our, in our recent trial is, is how used to I was of facing trials with a predictable beginning, a sort of, you know, a, a middle time, but not very long, and then an end. So I could look back on series of trials in my life and say, well, I faced that one and the Lord got me through. I faced that one, the Lord got me through. I faced that one. And that still happens many times in my life. I face something, I go through a short amount of time in the middle, and then the Lord reveals it, resolves it, and then it's, yes, I see your faithfulness, I see your faithfulness. But many of you have been in a place in life where you realize that you're in a trial that has a beginning. You can look back and go, oh, I know when it began. And then there's this middle time that seems like it's taken forever. And you're in the middle right now. It hasn't ended yet. And it's frustrated you or it's made you sad or it's turned you inward or it's stirred up depression in you. And some of you are like, I don't think it's ever going to end. Listen, it's going to end. Because eventually, even if it doesn't end on earth, you're going to have your last breath on earth. You're going to wake up in the presence of the Lord. It's going to end. Now, I hope along with you that it ends here. I have a heavenly hope. I'm looking forward to the blessed hope, the soon return. I want and I would love for God to end trials in my life right now and not have this long middle. But even if he doesn't, he remains faithful. And he has promised that every wrong will be made right. Every sickness will be healed. Everything will be taken care of. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, I was mentioning this on the radio today, when we're in the presence of the Lord, we will agree with God with his dealings with man on earth. There won't be any disagreement. You won't, you know, sometimes we kind of, we use this, uh, this il uh, illustration. I think I used it many years ago. I don't use it too much these days. We used to use this illustration. Well, you know, I've got this difficulty and I put it in a file. And uh, when I get to see, when I see God in heaven, I'm going to bring my file and I'm just going to ask him all these questions. You're not taking a file to heaven. And you're not going to have any questions because the Bible says that we're going to know even as we're known. And so there's going to be a transfer of knowledge and information that what God knows we'll know in the eternal state. And, and, and you know, the thing is this, and a brother shared this with me. He said, if you knew what God knew, you would do what God wants. Like if you had the full knowledge of what God knew, our behavior would change. But instead, God doesn't have us live that way, does he? he? We don't live by full knowledge. We live by what? Faith. That's the year, isn't it? We live by faith. We don't live by full knowledge. And so here for 42 months, he's given authority, but it's only 42 months. It, it seems like he's winning. It seems like you'll never get out of it. 
It seems like, it seems like, it seems like that all the things in our lives come down doesn't knock God off the throne. He's not shocked by what is happening in your life. He's not, oh, what happened? He's not, hey, Gabriel, what's going on down there? He knows. And everything in our lives as a believer in Jesus Christ have been father-filtered. He's allowed them, perhaps even sent some, so that we will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've looked at his appearance, his authority, his amazement, his adoration, his accusations. The final thing we want to look at is his aggression. Come back with me in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. His aggression. It says, The beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all the people who belong to this world. Now, at this stage in the text, many people will ask, wait a minute, uh, I thought the church was raptured. How is it that he's coming against these people, God's holy people? Well, this is not a reference to the church. The church is a distinct entity. Remember, the seven-year Great Tribulation period is a period of time that God has reserved, as we'll see in Daniel 9, the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years of world history, where God will then turn his attention to the Jewish people and fulfill his promises that are yet unfulfilled. And these God's holy people are not the church. They are those Notice they're described to us. They're waging war against God's holy people to conquer them. He was given authority to rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. And these are the ones that, whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. So he makes war against the saints in the New King James and overcomes them. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. The Antichrist will come violently against anyone who worships the one true living God. Remember, the souls under the altar. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6. Notice in Revelation chapter 6. There's a group of people in the tribulation known as the tribulation saints. Those that turn their lives over to Jesus Christ, predominantly Jewish people, the children of Israel during the great tribulation period. And remember, there's a song of the saints that are crying out for vengeance in Revelation chapter 6, um, verse 9. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And notice what they're shouting. It says, they shouted to the Lord, their God, and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? How long? And Daniel predicts this in Daniel chapter 7. We've read already and we learn in Daniel chapter 7 verse 25. It says that the Antichrist will defy the Most High, oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control for a time, times and a half a time, which is a reference to 42 months. And then the court will pass judgment. All his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. That phrase shall be given back in Revelation 
is a phrase that means to be delivered into the hands of a government or the idea of police arrest. Now it's interesting, is it not, in the days in which we live that governments at the drop of a moment can issue what's known as martial law or what's known as being put under police or house arrest. You're living in a time literally right now because of a pandemic of a virus where entire cities and regions of millions of people are being shut down. And you could say that they shall be given to the government and they're restricting their movement. That's a pretty powerful thing to witness. And here it will be okay for the Antichrist to persecute and kill those that call upon the name of Jesus. They will be martyred by the Antichrist. He will not put up with this. He desires to be worshipped and any other worship aside from him, they will be given unto his control. It will mark his ruling and dominion. Now, this is an important place Again, for those of you that are still uncertain about the rapture of the church and the timing of it, I want you to compare verse 7, and then we'll go back and I'll read to you Matthew chapter 16. So notice again, the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. And what is the last phrase of that sentence? To conquer them. That's an important phrase. Because Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 16 that we share right at the base of the area, the cave that's known as the Gate of Hades in Caesarea Philippi. We take time when on our tour, we come up there, we sit there with it in the background, and that's the place where Jesus brought his disciples to him, and he asked them, who do men say that I am? And after they answer it, and, and Peter gives this amazing revelation, he says this, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, now I say to you, Peter... And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And so there, I share that with you to show that there is a distinction between this group of people and the people that are known as you and I are today as the church. If you're taking notes, there are three distinct people on the planet Earth right now. There are those known that we would commonly refer to as the Jew. Secondly, there are those known as the Gentile, which would be anyone that's non-Jew, most of us in the room. And then thirdly, there's a group known as the church. And the church is made up of men and women that are saved from both Jew and Gentile. There's a new entity introduced in the Great Tribulation period, and these are known as the Tribulation Saints. Because I believe, and you can look them up on, on the app, you can just put the word rapture in the search bar and the studies will come up, that as you go through in the depth of looking at Jesus Christ's promise to return, we see in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell, or as it says here in the New Living, the powers of hell will not conquer the church. But now we're introduced to the beast that conquers God's holy people, or in the New King James it refers to the saints. And so these are not contradictions because this group of people are not church saints. They are tribulation saints, those that come to faith after the rapture of the church. So notice, Jesus Christ is the real deal, and he brings an end to this. 
Notice in verse 9, anyone who has ears to hear, back in Revelation, should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone who is destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And isn't that a word from God to us today? I was meditating on this verse earlier in the week where in Hebrews it says, you, ha- you and I, we have need for endurance. We're just going to face things in our life that require endurance. That word in the Greek is hupomone. The idea is to bear up under the weight or the load of a circumstance, a situation. And the need that we have is not to get out of it. The need that we have is not even necessarily someone to come alongside and help us bear the burden. But there are some listening to me right now that your need is endurance to learn to bear up under the weight of what you're in right now and what you're facing. And then you ask, but Ed, for how long? For how long? As long as the Lord allows it in our lives. We're to bear up under and make progress. I don't know, somewhere along the way, we either were taught this or we picked it up. Somewhere along the way, we thought the longer we walk with Jesus, the easier it would be. Anybody have that attitude at all? So so I think it should be easy by now. And you even beat yourself up and thinking you're a bad believer because you're facing so much trial. It's like, oh, it's all my fault. Well, there may be some, you know, consequences to decisions and such. But the closer you get in your walk with the Lord, the more opposition you face. Or as we learn from Paul, he said, this is so exciting, he told the Corinthians, a great and effective door has been opened for me. Yes, open doors. Don't we all want open doors? We want the doors God opens that no one can close. But he matched that with, but there are many adversaries. You know, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more I find that we have need for endurance. The more challenges we face, the more preparation that God has done in the previous time to prepare us. You know, all that we're going through right now is to prepare us for what's up ahead. God is allowing this time on earth to prepare us for heaven. But even before heaven, to prepare us for what tomorrow might bring. What he's going to allow next week. Jesus is the real deal. He's not the Antichrist. He's the real Savior, not the false Messiah. And Jesus loves you. And he died for you. Just coming back to that simplicity, would you turn back to Revelation chapter 2 for a second? In Revelation chapter 2, just as a reminder, as we're studying the Antichrist, we're thinking, well, you know, I don't expect to meet him, neither do I. I don't expect to see him. I I don't expect to see him face to face, but I'm I'm wondering if we're going to be able to see from the mezzanine, you know, from up top and be able to watch it all go down of how things are going to happen on the earth. I don't know how the end times are going to be and what kind of preparation is going to happen after the rapture or in the heavenly scene. However, I'm not in the heavenly scene right now. I'm on earth. God has me here. And God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And it's not unique to me, you know. God has you here. And there's a plan and a purpose that he's working out in your lives. But along the way, through difficulties and trials, we forget the simplicity of the gospel. That you and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually unaware of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. The Bible actually describes it being spiritually blinded, unable to see with our spiritual eyes 
unable to discern and understand the things of God. Perhaps some of you were so unable to see, you were so blinded that you took a place of opposition against God. Saul of Tarsus did. It's one of the things that he writes, they wish it didn't happen. That he took a position against God, that he blasphemed and tried to destroy the church with his own hands. And yet God reached him. I mean, I would say Saul was very far from God. He was so far from God that not only did he take a position against God, he was deceived into believing that he was doing something for God. That's how far he was. And yet on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, what happens? God meets him, opens his eyes, and forever he's the saint that we'll remember as Paul the Apostle who wrote more than a third of the New Testament and whose life encourages so many of us today. That if a guy like Paul can be used by God, then so can I, and so can you. And we forget the simplicity. We forget the, the beautifulness, the, this, the sweetness of the love of God. We forget that he came to die in our place. We forget that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we remember through the elements of communion, we forget that he's the Lamb of God that takes away my sins. My sins, not just the world, but me. He's the one that saved my soul. He's the one that rescued me from certain destruction. He's the one that gave me extended life physically. He's the one that entrusted me with the God. Like you can go on and on of the simplicity that gets lost in the complexity of life and the complexity of difficulties and circumstances. That's what happened to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They were very active, doing many things, Notice in verse 1, it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Didn't we just mention we have need of endurance? So imagine getting a letter like this. Hey, everybody, everybody, I received a letter. It's from the Lord. It's a post note from Jesus. Listen up, listen up. I know your works. And you go, yes, Lord, you know my works. It's so good to hear. I've seen your hard work. Yes, you see the things I do. Yes, you've seen my endurance. Yes, I know you don't tolerate evil people, it says. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles and are not. You've discovered their lives. You've dedicated to sound doctrine. You love the word and you test everybody that comes. Notice verse 3, you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. These are all noble, glorious things. But they're also the prelude. They're also the prelude, theological exactness. The need for patient endurance an onslaught of false doctrine, a a commitment to suffering. Some of you, this is a word from God for you. You have patiently suffered without quitting. What a great thing to hear from the Lord. You've patiently suffered. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app, Just search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. 
Each time we hear from a listener, it is a reminder that God is doing a great work through the radio. It never grows old hearing of the great things the Lord is up to. So please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you live by God's abounding grace. It was written by Max Licato, entitled In the Grip of Grace. Maybe you had a dad like I did that would love to toss you in the air and catch you. We knew dad would always catch us with his loving hands. Well, in the grip of grace, you'll be reminded that our heavenly father always caught us and still does. Maybe it's time for you to jump off the cliff of self-sufficiency or leap out of legalism and land right into the strong arms of a God that loves you. Allow Max Lucado to encourage you in that direction as you read In the Grip of Grace. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. We're constantly hearing of people that are being blessed and encouraged as they study along with us. You're a big part of that, as we certainly can't do this alone. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. All right, we'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Daniel. Join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, as there is so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.